As you know, we're going to be jumping back into the book of Matthew uh, this morning. We just finished up uh, going through a a whole summer-long series on the book of Proverbs. And and one of the things that uh, really encourages me is how all of Scripture points to Jesus. And we saw that in the Proverbs, uh, how Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. Uh, And today we're going to be jumping back into this series about the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Because see, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write their gospels, they are making this incredible announcement that the God of the universe has become a human and has come to save the world. And that is good news indeed. He's ushered in a new realm of the kingdom of God. You know, every kingdom has a king and the the name of this king is Jesus. Matthew really introduces us to the king and his name is Jesus. Uh, so where are we in the book of Matthew? Uh, if you were here this spring, right before we got to summer, we actually went through chapters 1 through 7. We ended uh, finishing the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the greatest uh, uh, chunks of Jesus' teaching, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, but here we are today. We're going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 8. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be there in just a second. But before we go there, uh, Matthew 4, verse 23 and verse 24 actually give a summary of Jesus and his ministry. Okay, so the first couple chapters of Matthew introduce us through the birth of the king. Here's who he is, the temptation of Jesus, his baptism. And then at the end of chapter 4, Matthew summarizes, here's what the king has come to do. It says this, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every good, every disease and every affliction among the people. So you could really sum up his ministry with three words, and that's teaching, preaching, and healing. And so we saw the teaching and preaching already in the in the Sermon on the Mount. But today, we're going to enter a new uh, section of Matthew that really focuses in on this healing. Look at verse uh, 24, Matthew 4, 24. It says this, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, And he healed them. So brothers and sisters, that's going to be our theme for the next few weeks is that whole, that little phrase that, and he healed them. Because what a beautiful phrase that is. And what we're going to see in Matthew chapters eight and nine actually is a whole series of healings. Each one of them kind of shows us something different about this healer. And, uh, uh, really what we're going to see, if, if you, you'll see in the next few weeks, there are three sections of healings in these two chapters and there are three healings in each section. So there's really nine healings that take place. So today what we're going to do is look at the first three healings, uh, in, in the beginning of chapter eight. And then in between those from week to week, you're going to see Jesus gives some really specific calls to follow him. Some really hard words in some of them, uh, some that are hard to understand, some that are hard to obey. Uh, And so uh, I'm really looking forward to just digging into these two chapters over the next few weeks, uh, looking at Jesus, the healer. And so my goal uh, for myself and for each one of you is that you, over the next few weeks, would come to embrace Jesus as the healer. And if you've already embraced him, have already trusted him, then you just grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, the healer, and that you follow him, follow him. So when we look at that phrase, and he healed them, we're going to drill down on the first 17 verses this morning of Matthew chapter 8, 
and talk about three specific people that he healed. And each one of them actually reveals something different about Jesus. And so we're going to see basically three different qualities or three different characteristics that Jesus demonstrates uh, one of them in each healing. And so the first one is this. What we see in verses uh, 1 through 4 of Matthew 8 is that the healer, Jesus, is compassionate. Okay, he is compassionate. Let's listen to these verses uh, from Holy Scripture. It says this. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. I want to pause there just for a second. Remember, this is immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so Jesus has just delivered that amazing sermon uh, that, we, that we worked our way through in the spring. And it says he came down from the mountain and great crowds were following him. There's something going on in the book of Matthew that's actually really unique. And that is that Matthew is drawing some parallels between Jesus and Moses. Because if you read the Old Testament, especially the book of Exodus, remember Moses went up on the mountain. He received the law from God. God gave him the teaching. And then he sent Moses back down the mountain and Moses delivered it to the people. Um, and so there's a lot of these little things going on in the book of Matthew. Uh, but the thing that's really unique about that phrase when it says he came down from the mountain and great crowds followed him. Matthew is telling us here and throughout the book that Jesus is a new and better Moses than the one in the Old Testament. Because Moses was this representative who had to keep going back and forth between God. And he would get a message from God, then he'd bring it down to the people. And then the people would do something, he'd have to go talk to God. And, and he kept going back and forth like a priest. But when Jesus comes along, remember, Jesus is fully God. Jesus himself, God himself, comes down the mountain to dwell with the sinners. And we're going to see that in a powerful way here in this story today. So it says, great crowds followed him. Verse 2, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, leprosy is a word that occurs uh, a lot in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. But if you've never seen it before, leprosy, or it talks about this guy who's a leper. It's someone who's suffering from leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease. And it's actually probably one of the feared diseases during Bible times. Uh, the Bible actually talks about it a lot because it was so contagious. You touch a person with leprosy, you're probably going to get leprosy. What does leprosy do? It turns your skin white kind of scaly, and, and then oftentimes it would become open wounds, open sores, uh, infections, um, and actually would prove fatal to many of the people who had it. They were not allowed to be close to other people. Anyone who touched a leper uh, would become unclean. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament all the way back in the, in the very beginning in, in Leviticus, God gave his people a lot of guidelines of here's how you deal with lepers and leprosy. Part of it was because it was such a dangerous disease. Uh, and part of it was because it's so, uh, it's kind of a symbolic thing of just the uncleanness of sin. So it's the skin disease. If you want to find out, and, and I'll tell you this, it's not pleasant reading, uh, but if you want to see what the Old Testament says about leprosy, go read Leviticus 13 and 14. It's not the easiest thing to read uh, about what happens if this, this leprosy uh, festers in this way. And, and, and it's amazing, though, that God says, if I provide healing you can be clean again. Okay, so that's part of the message of the Old Testament. But what we see here going on with this leper in Matthew chapter 8, this guy who's sick, he comes to Jesus. And leprosy is more than just a skin disease. 
In the Old Testament, leprosy actually became a representation of sin because of what it does to a person. Remember, sin destroys people from the inside out. Leprosy actually destroys them from the outside in. But it's kind of a representation. When, when Isaiah is talking about the sins of God's people, in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, here's what he says. He's talking about leprosy, and he says, your sins are like leprosy. Isaiah 1 verse 5, why will you be struck down? Why do you continue to rebel? Your whole head is sick and your whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. It's, it's this whole picture that God says that your sins are like festering open wounds. And leprosy is a picture of that. So when a leper comes to Jesus, yes, he wants physical healing, but there's something even deeper going on there. And that is this whole representation of sin in that disease. It says nothing about him being sinful and that's why he has leprosy. People get sick, not because they're sinful, but because we live in a sinful world. But notice that man's request on the screen there. You know, he doesn't question Jesus's ability to heal. What does he say? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So he's confident Jesus is able to do it. But he says, basically, the literal translation here would be, if you wish to do it, please make me clean. So Jesus stretched out his hand, verse 3, and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Again, going back to Leviticus 13, he said, follow the instructions and do this. What do we see happening here? A couple of things. Again, the healer is compassionate. You know, in Mark chapter 1, where it tells the same, it's kind of the parallel passage of this story. It says that Jesus was filled with pity or filled with compassion and he reached out his hand and he touched the man. He was filled with compassion. That's what's being emphasized here is the concern and care that Jesus has for this person. And there's really a couple of surprising things that happen in those couple verses. Uh, one of them, I'm going to start with the last one first and then go back to the biggest one. The last one, you know, when, when Jesus heals him, Jesus says, say that you see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Why would Jesus tell him to keep this a secret? Actually, we're going to see this in a couple of the healings uh, throughout the book of Matthew. And also in the book of Mark, the same thing happens. Jesus is like, keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody that I healed you. Why would Jesus say something like that? Now, scholars have debated this uh, for years, uh, but we believe what happens is you see as Jesus heals more and more people, even later in this chapter, people start to hear about it and he just gets surrounded by crowds of people and all they want is to be healed. Jesus says physical healing is important. I want to heal you, but I'm bringing a kind of healing that's even more important than physical healing and that's spiritual healing. And so we think that Jesus was afraid if the crowd started gathering around him too much for physical healing, he wouldn't be able to reach people with his message of of spiritual healing. So that's one thing that's surprising. Why does Jesus tell him to keep it a secret? I think he wants to keep it from uh, too many crowds gathering and stopping him from moving. 
But most surprising, the most surprising thing to anybody in, in the early days of, of the church who would have read this is that, did you catch those words that said in verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched a leper. People would say, why in the world would he do that? You're not supposed to touch these people. The Bible even tells you if you touch them, you're unclean. Why would Jesus touch the leper? This kind of reminds me of this famous painting uh, in the Sistine Chapel, painted by Michelangelo. You've probably seen this before. It's called The Creation of Adam, and it's God reaching down and touching Adam, imparting life to Adam. That's what they think the artist was trying to illustrate with this picture. God reaching down to touch Adam to give him life. But what I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't just reach down to touch the sick man. Like he literally came down out of heaven and became one of the humans on earth so that he could reach out and touch the unclean man and share compassion and love with him. No one would touch an unclean person unless they cared for them and wanted to show love to them. The healer is compassion, compassionate. How do we know that? Because I believe this, Jesus' touch of that leper is really making a really strong point here. You know, Jesus could have healed him just by saying, okay, be healed. In fact, later in the chapter, we're going to see he does that very thing. But he goes out of his way to reach out and touch that unclean person. What does that show us? I think that shows us that Jesus is willing to be close to the broken, to the unclean, to the hurting, to the sick, to sinners. See, this healing is symbolic. It shows his compassion and love for the outcast. He came near, touched that leper, not just to heal him physically, but to show that this is what I've come to do to heal you all spiritually. Not just physical sickness, but also heal sin. Second Corinthians 5.21. You may have heard this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. It says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross at the end of the book of Matthew, you see Jesus taking on the sins of the entire world. And he says, I will willingly die in your place. To heal you of your sins. He came near so he could take our sins away. He was willing to make himself unclean in order to make others clean. That's what he does with this leper. Now again, people have argued about this. Like, did Jesus actually become unclean when he touched that man with leprosy? A good argument could be made that no, he didn't. Because he actually imparted cleanness to him immediately, miraculously. Yet the point is still there. He came near and touched this unclean man so that he could heal him. So here's a couple of thoughts of application from this first miracle. First one is this. When you pray for healing, I think you can kind of imitate the way this leprous guy, this leper does it. Uh, First of all, he acknowledges God's ability, right? He says, I know you're able to do it. And yet he holds it in balance with saying, I also acknowledge you have a divine plan. He says, if you're willing, please heal me. I know you can. And if you're willing, please do it. 
Because that's a hard question that comes up whenever you talk about Jesus the healer, right? A lot of us have had sick relatives. Um, my dad passed away of a brain tumor probably 17 years ago. And I remember when he first got diagnosed with this, I would pray on my knees and say, Lord, please heal him. I want you to get all the glory for it. Um, you know, we're living in a time of COVID. People have prayed, Lord, please heal my loved one from COVID. God heals some and others he doesn't. And so I would encourage you when you pray for healing, and we should pray for healing, acknowledge both God's ability, but also acknowledge his divine plan and say, as Jesus said, right before he was crucified, not my will, but thine be done. And that's a hard thing to balance. And yet we know Jesus is the healer and he's able to heal whomever he chooses, uh, but to balance those two things. So I would encourage you. Ask for healing. Absolutely. God wants us to ask for healing. But balance that with knowing that he has the ultimate wise plan. Second point of application I would have here is this. Imitate Jesus' compassion. Right Throughout the New Testament, it calls it, we are called to imitate Jesus, to walk in his steps. So we see Jesus the healer demonstrating compassion. Now you may not have the supernatural ability to heal people from sickness. But you do have the ability to share Jesus' compassion with anyone who needs it. You know, this is an interesting one, especially right now, uh, because let's say some of the people who need compassion the most might be those who are sick with this disease called COVID. And so we're not allowed to touch people who are sick, just like God's people in the Old and New Testament weren't allowed to touch lepers. And so I would just say this. At a time when we can't physically touch sick people, you can touch their lives in a whole lot of different ways and show compassion in a whole lot of different ways. Maybe through meals, gift cards, texts, phone calls, prayers, or just an old-fashioned handwritten note. Show compassion to people who need compassion. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus the healer is compassionate. Do you know his compassion personally? And can you share that with someone in your life? I think we're called to do that. That brings us to the second quality, though, and that is that the healer is powerful. The healer is powerful. We see this in the second miracle that he works uh, with uh, the centurion in uh, verses 5 through 13. Here's what it says. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He is suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. I actually love to read these things in, in like different versions. So the, I love the way the King James says this verse. Okay, listen to what it says about the, the centurion. The centurion says this in King James English. My servant lieth at home sick of the palsy. He is grievously tormented. In other words, it's, it's nasty. Whatever's happening to this guy, it's terrible. We don't speak that way anymore, but the point is, uh, the guy's paralyzed, he's hurting, grievously tormented. Before we jump to the next verse, uh, again, if this is new to you, what's a centurion? A centurion is a Roman army officer uh, who has command of at least a hundred soldiers. Uh, and so uh, that's who this guy is. Now think about this again. It's a Gentile. This is not a Jewish person. He's an outsider really an outcast. In, in Israel, this would be a persona non grata, right? It's a, it's a occupying army officer, not real popular amongst the Jewish people. 
And yet Jesus listens to him. Verse 7, and he said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, but the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. A couple things we want to notice in these verses as we talk about how Jesus, the healer, is powerful. First of all, you notice that word marveled in verse 10. It says, Jesus marveled at his faith. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. You know, uh, there's only two places in the Gospels where it says that Jesus marveled. And to think about it, marveling, like if if I was going to marvel at something, that would mean I'd be completely surprised by it or just amazed by it. How do you amaze God, right? Because he already knows everything. And yet here, and in one other place, it says that he marveled. Here he's marveling at the great faith of this Gentile believer, this man who's not even a Jew, and yet has faith in him as the healer. The other place is Mark 6, 6, where actually Jesus is marveling at the great unbelief of his own people. Those are the two times where it says Jesus marveled greatly. But here he's marveling because we see an example of great faith. This this outsider who says, I want you to heal my servant. The other thing you notice there in verses 11 and 12, where it says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. See, what Jesus is talking about here is the messianic feast at the end of time. And he's saying all of God's people will one day feast together and celebrate the salvation that God has given them. But there's going to be some left on the outside. Those that didn't know the king. Those that didn't follow the king. Those that are not a part of the kingdom. And during Jesus' time, and actually it's no different during our time, people thought, if I have the right pedigree, I'm in the kingdom. And I'll be there at the feast. Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if your father was Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. If you don't know the king, you'll be cast out. And to anyone who does come from the east or the west and knows the king, trusts in him and says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, they will have life in his name. Only those who have faith will be a part of the kingdom. So the healer is powerful. And the centurion understands this, by the way. We know he understands this power. uh, And he describes this healing. Matthew describes this healing in a way that really emphasizes Jesus' power. I love it how the centurion gives this military example, right? I see this picture of soldiers. The centurion says, I'm an officer. In command of soldiers. And if I give an order to the men, I say, go, they go. If I say, come, they come. 
Same thing with my servants. Whatever I tell them to do, they do it. And the centurion's basically saying, just like that happens for me, Jesus, whatever you command, even the removal of disease from a human body, it's going to happen. What an expression of faith. What a demonstration of power. So in that first miracle, we see that Jesus is compassionate and he heals by touching someone. In this miracle, we see that Jesus is powerful and he heals just by speaking a word. Look at verse 13. Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So Jesus was demonstrating compassion in that first miracle, but he's demonstrating incredible power in the second, in second uh, miracle. So my question for you is, do you know the powerful healer? Have you seen his power at work in your life? Has he cleansed you from anything? Has he healed you from anything? A couple points of application from this this part of the passage. And the first one is this. Number one, ask for help. Ask for help. That's what the centurion does. Uh, That's one of the things we're the most reluctant to do. We'll say, I can solve this myself. I'll save up my money or I'll find a better doctor. God says, ask for help. Depend on him. In fact, I think the NIV translates it. uh, Verse, uh, this is in verse five. It says a centurion came forward appealing to him in in ESV. In NIV, it says uh, the centurion came to him and said, please help me. Help me for my servant is sick. So ask for help. Don't miss that point. And I would say not just for healing from sin or from healing from sickness, but for every single step of the journey. We saw that in Jesus' in his teaching throughout the Sermon of the Mount that we have to depend on the King. It's his power alone. Abide in him and he will abide in you. If he's your powerful King, ask him for help. And then the second point of application on this is this. If he's your powerful King, then listen to him. Obey him. If he's giving you marching orders, by all means, Don't ignore those things. Don't ignore his teaching or his principles. Do the things he commands you to do. Don't want to miss that. But overall, know Jesus as the powerful healer. That brings us to our third point, and that is this. The third thing that Jesus demonstrates as the healer is that he is personal. The healer is personal. We see this in the last miracle that he works in verses 14 through 17. Follow along as I read these. It says this, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. A couple things in there that I wanted you to notice. First of all, it says that he spoke a word and healed people. And earlier it said for Peter's mother-in-law, he touched her and healed her. So same thing. He's touching people and speaking, healing through his touch, healing through his words. But the other thing that we see here is this scripture that's quoted at the very end of this passage. This sums up the whole thing. It says, verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. 
Flip with me back to Isaiah chapter 53. If you've got a Bible in front of you. Isaiah 53 is one of those passages in the Old Testament that ties the two Testaments together. Okay, uh, Isaiah 53 talks about how Jesus is the only person who could fulfill the problem of sin. And this passage that, that Matthew is quoting is driving that point home. That Jesus is the one who was promised by Isaiah six or seven hundred years earlier as the one who would come and take sins away. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He has borne our illnesses and carried our diseases. It could be translated either way. Because you see what we're talking about in Isaiah 53 is both physical healing, and it becomes very plain that we're also talking about spiritual healing. So when an author like Matthew quotes one verse from Isaiah 53... Or when Jesus quotes a verse, know this, they're aware of all the other verses that surround that one verse. So Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. So what we see when Jesus is healing these people physically is that he's also here to heal people spiritually, as Isaiah 53 tells us. In fact, you notice it says they brought many to him in verse 16. They brought many people to him. Isaiah 53 actually highlights that word many as well. Verse 11, it says this. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. So yes, Jesus is healing many people physically. But ultimately, he's come to offer healing to many people spiritually. He offers that to you. He offers that to me personally. I love these three miracles. For a couple of reasons. One, you notice Jesus is healing outcasts, right? People that no one would want to touch. People who are considered second-class citizens. A leper, a Gentile, a Roman centurion. He heals a woman. He touches her to heal her. Again, in the culture at that time, they were considered second-class citizens, almost like property. And Jesus intentionally goes out of his way to heal these people. And to restore them. And I love it that it talks about these three individuals. You know, it could just say that Jesus went out and healed many people. But no, God gives us those three individual stories. Because you know why? Our healer is personal. He knew each one of them. He knew about each one of them. He knows about each one of us. He knows Marcus. He knows you. Fill in your name. Jesus chose to personally touch those people and personally speak to those people, speak into their situation. And so this is my challenge to you from this point. Two points of application. Number one is this. Personally, go out and share this healing with others. If Jesus has healed you physically or especially spiritually, don't keep that to yourself. Share it with others. And the second point of application is this. In verse 15, it says, When Peter's mother-in-law was healed, she rose up and began to serve. 
And so I would just challenge you with that. If the king has healed you, get up and start serving him. Okay, that's what Peter's mother-in-law did. Serve the king who has saved and healed you. You know, I love this section of Matthew. These two chapters that have all these healings mentioned. We're going to learn different things from each one. But I think it's just an incredible picture of grace. You know, none of the people that Jesus healed particularly deserved it. In fact, by human standards, they were the last people that Jesus should have been interacting with. Okay, unclean, Gentile, and woman. Stay away from those people at that time. But God's grace says it is free for everyone. Jesus dispenses grace freely to anyone who will receive him by faith. God's undeserved favor, his love, his mercy, his healing can heal anything in your life. Spiritual, physical, you name it. He is able to do it. All you have to do is ask him. Will you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, this chance to open your word. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus as our healer. And God, I pray that we would know his compassion his power, and Lord, his personal love for each one of us. God, I pray that we would share that with others. Lord, use Trinity Church to go out and be a witness in a world that desperately needs you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.